Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. We started a series like eons ago, it feels like, called True Prayer. Anybody remember that? Remember that? Yeah. I didn't forget about it. I didn't forget. We just are listening to the Lord and obeying as quickly as possible. I'm going to pick up that series today, and we're going to finish it this month, or else we won't even talk about it till July. So we have to finish it this month. There's so much going on. And I want to give you a quick recap, but I want to put it back in a box for you, that the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, all that, is a paradigm of prayer. Say paradigm. That means it's like a realm. You can step into it. It's not just empty words, okay? You actually get to participate in the truth of the words and the meaning of what is there. And so I don't want any of us just praying empty prayers, amen? I want true prayer. I want a true prayer life, amen? Anybody with me? Okay, good. Yeah, so this is how Jesus told us to pray, and I've been walking through it slowly. I'm going to give you a quick recap, all right? Part one was that true prayer is relational. Our Father, it's a family affair. Part two is that true prayer starts with worship. Hallowed be thy name is a term of worship, glory unto God. If you start with worship, you'll worry less, and your prayers will be less worrisome. Okay, and then part three was true prayer releases God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. It actually sees the kingdom advance in every realm of society, not just the church world, but politics, politics, yeah, politics. (laughs) That's going to be a lot of those. In Jesus' name, I don't know. Uh, All the realms of society need the kingdom of God, amen? And so we shouldn't just be praying for church. We should be praying for society, the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. All right? Part four, true prayer enforces the will of God. It's not, Lord, if it's your will. It finds his will and then releases it on the earth. It enforces his will. It doesn't beg or wonder. It enforces the will of God. Okay? Part five, true prayer brings heaven to earth. It actually sees heaven as the blueprint and then earth as a place where heaven should dwell and come. Thy kingdom come, there will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not get me off of earth and into heaven. Right? Bring heaven to earth. That's true prayer. And number six, the last one today was true prayer recognizes the true provider. And it is not you or me. Hallelujah. God is the only provider. Amen? The provider of all. He's our source. Amen. Amen. All of that is on YouTube. You should watch it. But today... Part seven, here it is. True prayer releases us from punishment. True prayer actually releases us from punishment. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean by that. Matthew 6, 12 says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to define for you what what real forgiveness is. Because some people think forgiveness is just, let's just not talk about it. I've forgiven you. I just, we're not going to deal with it. It was a long time ago. Yeah, passive aggressive, uh, put it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. You still trip over the bump every time you walk in the room with that person. But it's at least we can't see it. That's not forgiveness, okay? That's just stupid. All right, that's just dumb. All right, that's not good. It's not good for anybody. It just festers under there. And it, it, it will... You will see the effect of that, okay? True prayer, or true forgiveness is actually, I have this for you, it's the act of releasing the offender from all punishment. True prayer is the act of releasing the offender from all punishment. 
meaning you look at their offense, you actually look it right in the face and say, that was wrong. It really hurts, and I refuse to punish you for it. That's forgiveness. Really. Some people say, I forgive them, I forgive them, but they still get bitter and angry anytime they think of them. They still punish them in their heart and their mind. You haven't forgiven them. If it still hurts there, if it still bothers you, if it still like sends that twinge in your stomach, you've yet to really forgive them. And there's healing that comes, I understand that, but you have to actually release them completely. The Greek word forgiveness is actually to send away. The Greek word for forgiveness means to send away, to leave alone, to permit. You're writing a permit. I permit you to be free. I'm going to leave you alone forever. I'm sending you away. Meaning, I'm not going to keep you locked in that cage of unforgiveness any longer. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Yeah, that's what makes forgiveness so powerful. It's not like, oh, it, didn't, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. It's okay. Nothing to, no, it's all good. Nothing to forgive. Uh, it, it amazes me sometimes because I talk to people and I'll apologize for something. And they're like, oh, oh, it's all good. I forgive you. There's nothing to forgive. I'm like, which one? Which one is it? Oh, there's nothing to forgive. Nothing, or is there nothing to forgive? Or is there something to forgive and you forgive me? Like, which is it? But that's the mentality many of us have with forgiveness. Like, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's okay. It's okay. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's not forgiveness, y'all. That's ignorance. That's ignoring something. It's avoidance. It's not looking at it going, this was wrong, and I will not punish you. Because that's what God did for us. That's how he forgave you and me. That, man, your, your sin, that was wrong. You hurt people. And I will not punish you for it. In fact, I'll take the punishment. Later on in Matthew 6, Jesus gets even more difficult. <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? Well, let's just read it. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. Hmm. Is that challenging to anybody? Like, wait a minute. Wait, I thought I was forgiven. Somebody told me God's not mad at me. He's madly in love with me. What's going on? Right? Whenever a challenging statement like this is found in Scripture, we must be slow to form an opinion without the counsel of other Scripture. I'm going to say that again. Whenever, whenever something's challenging in Scripture, we need to be very slow to form an opinion about what meaneth this without counsel from other portions of Scripture. Are you with me? A lot of people have formed opinions on this that are really, really messed up because they completely disagree with other things Jesus has said in writing. Like, you know, but we build our, our theology that way sometimes. What I'm saying to you is we need to let Scripture weigh Scripture. Is there any other time where Jesus spoke like this? Did he explain a little bit more? Oh, I'm so glad you're asking these questions. Because yes, he did in the same gospel. Just a few chapters later, Matthew 18. Let me read it to you. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me, and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Ching! Like, I'm a good old Christian boy. I'm going to forgive him seven times. Yeah. Jesus says, up. To, he says, up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts 
with his slaves. I want to just pause for a second. Did you hear that? He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's talking about heaven right now. It's not going to sound very heavenly to some of you because you have a false paradigm of heaven. But this is what the kingdom of heaven is actually like. I just believe Jesus when he says stuff like that. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I know you have an opinion. <laughs> but the word, the person of the word, his opinion kind of matters a little more than yours. Okay? All right? Are we okay? Half of you. Good. I'll take it. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. He sent him away. He permitted him. He left him alone about it. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, tiny, tiny bit. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what he was owed. What was owed? So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, the master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. See all that joy earlier? It was for this moment so you could handle what I just read to you. There ain't nobody laughing right now. Whoa. That's intense, right? I'm just going to point out some things. Jesus answered Peter. How many times did I forgive my brother? You know, he answered him in this way, not to give him a literal number, but in a way is to say, if you're keeping track, you're doing it wrong. If you're keeping count of how many times you've forgiven, if you're keeping track of how many times you've dealt with that person on this thing, I'll get, I'll get real spicy on Mother's Day. Come on, husband and wives. If you're like saying to yourself, really, again? I know, you're, don't look at each other. It's okay, just look at me, look at me. Look at me. Just. <laughs> eyes up here, eyes up here. Then you haven't forgiven yet. Some translations say up to 70 times 7. The point is, if you're keeping track, you're on the wrong track. You need to get on the forgiveness train where you truly release them, completely release them back to the Lord. Love keeps some records of wrongs. Okay. 
So it's not about the number. It's about stop taking tolls. Stop keeping track. I've dealt with them. This is like the fifth time I've dealt with them. I can't trust them anymore. Well, maybe you need to be wise and set a boundary. But you setting a boundary because you keep dealing with them and doing it out of bitterness. Boundaries built from bitterness are not rooted in forgiveness. Hello. And there has to be healthy boundaries many times, but not built on bitterness. A lot of spiritualization and spiritual bypassing with boundaries in the church nowadays. I just can't go back there. I can't go back there. I can't trust them. No, you're the problem. Please don't go back there because you'd poison them. Deal with your stuff, and then you can go back. <laughs> you know that meme? Or uh, what's his face? Leonardo DiCaprio's like, you know, you know that one? Anyone where he's like jolly walking through the street? That's what I feel like up here right now. Like, just not a care in the world. Like, I just don't. Okay, I hit the thing. All right. <laughs> After he corrects Peter's thinking, his paradigm, and goes, you're keeping track. That means you're doing it wrong. He points out quickly that we all answer to someone else. All of us answers to another master. This is a parable of two servants answering to a master. And Romans 14, 4 says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, a servant stands or falls. So if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, you're actually taking the wrong seat. You're taking the seat of judge, of master, of Lord over them. But you're just a servant alongside them. And when you recognize that, it actually gets a lot easier because you're going to answer to the master with how you dealt with his kid. I'm going to answer to Jesus with how well I speak to his wife every Sunday. I get up here and I'm speaking to another man's bride. I know that. Some pastors would do well to remember. They're speaking to God's kids and Jesus' bride. And the first servant actually recognized his need for mercy at the beginning, right? He pleaded, have compassion, right? He, he, he recognized his need for mercy, but it was only when he saw a punishment looming. He recognized his need for mercy because there was a punishment coming, Right? The king called, this is, remember, this, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about the kingdoms of the world. We're talking about this is what heaven is like. A reckoning is coming. I know, you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't like heaven. I don't know what Bible you're reading, okay? But let me just say a couple things. I know you will. It's okay. There can't be a heaven without hell. There can't be life without death. There can't be angels without demons. Big movement in the church right now to remove the reality of eternal damnation from the conversation. And I know some of you in here are like, I don't believe in hell. I'll, that's fine. Cool. Listen, it's still there. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me ask you something. If, you're, if there's no hell to be saved from, then how did you get saved? What does it mean to be saved? You're saved from nothing then. If there's no consequence to us harming and biting and devouring one another, then God is not a just God. This story speaks of the justice of God. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. In fact, he laid down at the gates and said, over my dead body, will you get in here? 
And some will step over the dead body and sacrifice of Jesus to get in there. C.S. Lewis said it best, all who are in hell, choose it. But God is not turning a blind eye when we harm his beloved children. Sin kills somebody. It kills you or it kills them or it kills a community. It kills a move. It kills something. Sin kills. And God is a God of justice. But when the servant asked for mercy, the king had compassion. He forgave him a huge sum. If there's nothing looming, there's no reason for mercy. And if there is no reason for us <laughs> to cry out for mercy, then what is the good news all about anyway? What is the gospel? The good news is Jesus did everything necessary to rescue from yourself, rescue you from you. Some people are living in hell right now, going to church every Sunday. Can I get a witness from someone who's done it recently, anybody, or ever in your lives? Like, you lived like hell, hanging around church, Christians, all that? Yeah, me too. And some are in living hell, some are going to be in hell in it forever by their own choice. You're like, I don't like this church anymore. Listen, I just want to take the whole sweep of Scripture and not ignore the parts that bother me. I'm not ignoring the parts that bother me that I don't understand. All I know is without the punishment for sin, without justice, there's no need for mercy. You can't have one without the other. He's a merciful God. That's what people say. I'm going to stay here for a second because I feel it. People say, no, God's a God of mercy. He would never do that. Mercy for what? He's a God of mercy. I would never treat my children that way. Mercy for what? What is he being merciful for? Oh, for us killing each other. Okay. You're telling me he has mercy, but he's not going to punish it? I don't think you understand what mercy is. It means I'm not going to punish you for the thing you did that you deserve punishment for. <laughs> Hello? And how do we receive his mercy? By simply believing he took the punishment for us. And forgave us the 10,000 talents. He forgave us the 10,000 sins, our past, present, future sins. Come on. What is forgiveness if there's nothing to forgive? True prayer will release us from punishment now and forever. But here's the deal. The servant did not truly value the king's forgiveness. And therefore, I want to argue with, I want to just throw this out there to you. Because he did not truly value it, he did not truly receive it. If I give you $1,000 and you only use 100 and never spend the other 900, did you ever really receive the $1,000? If you do not apply it, if you do not use it, if you do not leverage it, if you don't experience it, if it's not part of you and your story, you did not receive it. So this proves that he show, him choosing to hold the other one captive means he never received true forgiveness. He never truly believed he was released from punishment. I argue with you that he, not with you or towards you, whatever. My argument is, <laughs> this sounded really bad. I'm not arguing with you. I'm shouting, but I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> I would like to argue that the reason he choked the dude out it's because he didn't believe he was truly free of his debt. 
He was afraid that that debt was going to come back, and he had to go get every little penny he could just in case the hammer fell down. And we do the same thing with the cross of Jesus Christ. When we refuse to forgive others, we're not really sure we're forgiven. We're not really sure we're released from punishment. We're not really sure that God's not mad at us. So we got to make sure any wrongdoing to us, we make sure they pay it because we don't know we're paid for. When we choose to hold other captives for their wrongs, their wrongs against us, we do not value the forgiveness we were given by the cross. Let me say it this way. Unforgiveness is unbelief in the finished work of Christ. Unforgiveness in your heart means you do not believe it is finished because it might come back around. I got to go get my pennies because that debt might come back around. The debt might come calling. But if you believe the debt is actually paid, like truly believe it, it's easy to forgive. <laughs> because you can see in view of God's mercy, present yourself as living sacrifices, is what it said in Romans 12. In view of God's what? Mercy. You look at the mercy God had for you, it's easy to have mercy on others. Oh, it's so hard having mercy on people. You don't believe that mercy has been given to you. It's so hard to forgive. You don't believe you're forgiven. Just like the servant in this parable. The first servant in jail, the second servant for not paying him back. I just like to say, like, if we don't release one another, spiritually, we're, we're putting them in jail. We're putting them in captivity. You're holding them captive. And you know, you actually have to guard that prison. You know, you actually have to put out energy to keep them there. You want to know why you're so tired? You don't believe you're forgiven. And you're using all your spiritual energy on holding a bunch of people captive. Ooh, Jesus. Somebody is holding a lot of ex-girlfriends captive. I just heard that. Some man in here, you're holding like every girlfriend you ever had captive. And you can't have a relationship with anyone because you're so, you're spending out so much energy dealing with them in the spirit, guarding their prison. Let them go. Unlock the doors. That's the word of knowledge. That's what that's called. So deal with it. <laughs> I have to finish this. Okay. I find it interesting that the fellow slaves are the ones who told the king. Like, the king didn't know about it. Like, this is, the king is, is God in this story, just so you know. Like, right? So, like, he would know. So, like, what's going on? I, I think the point of that moment in the scriptures is to point out the, the deep grieving that was felt by the other servants. I just like to wager that this servant wasn't the only servant the king forgave. I like to wager that there were other servants who their debt was forgiven as well when they cried out for mercy, right? And they're watching someone refuse to forgive someone for such a small little, it grieves them. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I see it all the time. People refusing to grieve, it's hard to watch. Or refuse to forgive, it's hard to watch someone refuse to forgive. It's, it grieves me. So not only are you keeping them captive, you're grieving your community. You're putting the weight of grief on your brothers and sisters. Come on. And then the master rebuked him. For not treating others the way he was treated. Listen, we line up for the same rebuke when we do not forgive. 
We get in line for that. Just get out of that line today. Amen. And then the master actually handed the servant over to the torturers. It's the word jailers, the torturers. I want to point out that the master isn't the one who tortured the servant. Like you might have misheard me this entire time. You might have heard me saying that God's going to punish you, God's going to torture you. No, God is going to allow you to receive the punishment for your own stuff if you don't receive his forgiveness for that very same thing. It's simple math. So my heavenly father will do to you. It's simple math. If you don't receive forgiveness, you got to pay for it. If you don't receive the forgiveness of your debt, you got to pay for your debt. And it's torturous to try and pay for your own debt. Hello? The master did not torture the servant. He allowed the jailers to do it. So moral of the story is sin is its own worst punishment. It comes with it, its own punishment. Unforgiveness, you probably heard this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it will hurt the one who offended you. It punishes you. When we refuse to forgive, we're, in fact, inviting punishment for our own mistakes. It's the law of the harvest. The church has got to get this. The law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. If you are constantly bickering in your mind about someone or rejecting them or whatever, you're going to reap that harvest. Whether you say it to them or not, they shouldn't have. They're just such a jerk, meanie face, bad man. You hate them. Yeah. Hope they never come to my church and get healed. Ugh. Law of the harvest. Sometimes we hold up our own healing. Sometimes we cut ourselves off from the flow of God. That's what it means to be out of line. If you get out of line, unforgiveness is out of line. Anyone say amen? I think I've convinced you by now. Unforgiveness, you get out of line, you miss the blessing. It's coming down the line. You just missed it. God's still sending it, but you're out of line. You got to get back in line. Receive it. Law of the harvest. <laughs> Jesus saying, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is the exact same as in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer, where he says, if you do not forgive other people, then your father will not forgive your offenses. So it's not that we are earning our salvation or forgiveness of sins by forgiving others. It's that we're choosing, or by not forgiving others, right? It's not an earning thing. Like, did you forgive everyone? Like, it's not going to be the day of judgment. You come before Jesus, and he goes, I'm going to let you in as long as you forgive everyone from your heart, you know, everyone. Did you, for oh, you forgot that one? Nope, you can't come in. It's not about that. It's not like that. It's about experiencing the benefits of forgiveness. It's about reaping the harvest of forgiveness, Okay. And it's uh, choosing, if you don't forgive, you're choosing the torturer's punishment over the king's freedom. That's what he's saying. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.